we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Perception reveals the truth, and out of that perception comes wisdom. Intelligence is the action of that wisdom in daily life. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives representing different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions that we all face in our lives. This week's theme is wisdom. Upcoming themes are conclusions, sensation and words and language. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, a unique international boarding school offering a personalised holistic education for around 70 students. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on wisdom has six sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Paris, 1965, titled Wisdom and Self-Knowledge. Freedom is something entirely different. And as most of us do not want it, inwardly, in the deep sense of that word, which implies that we stand completely alone, without a guide, without a system, without following, without authority. And that requires enormous order within oneself. Most of us want to lean on somebody. If it's not a person, then it's an idea, a belief, a way of conduct, a pattern set out by the society, by some leader, or by some spiritual person, or by oneself. So most of us accept authority, 
I think here one must be clear that the following of law of a country, of a group, or whatever it is, is not the following of authority. What we are talking about as authority is the fear of being alone, of standing on one's own feet. and not looking to anyone for the way of our own life, for our conduct, for inward clarity. Because authority breeds contempt. Authority breeds enmity and the division between man and man. A man who seeks truth has no authority of any kind at any time. And that's one of the most difficult things to grasp and to be free of. Not only in the spiritual Western world, but also in the East. Because we think somebody else will bring about order in our life. A saviour, a master, a, a spiritual teacher and all that business. Which is absolutely absurd. It is only we through our own clarity, investigation, awareness, attention, we begin to learn all about ourselves. And out of that learning, out of that understanding, comes freedom, and therefore order, and therefore virtue. So, the capacity, or rather, that's not the word, sorry, the understanding that one must be completely alone comes about when you begin to understand yourself, that is self-knowing, is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is always alone, because, because it cannot be bought through, through books, through the quotation of another. Wisdom is something that has to be discovered by each one, and it is not the result of knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom do not go together. 
Wisdom comes when there is the maturity of self-knowing. So, without knowing oneself, order is not possible, and therefore there is no virtue. Now, learning about oneself and knowing about oneself <coughs> are two different things. Please listen to this a little bit. Not that you are following me or accepting what I am saying, which I hope you are not. But we are investigating together, we are discovering together, we are taking a journey together. And therefore, you are as much aware as the speaker. You are working as hard as the speaker. Therefore, we are both together inquiring. Learning and accumulating knowledge are two different things. A mind that is acquiring knowledge is never learning. What it is doing is, it is gathering information, experience as knowledge to itself. And what it has gathered, from that it experiences, it learns. And therefore it is never learning but always knowing, acquiring. Whereas learning is always active present, it has no power. Moment you have said to yourself, I have learned, it has already become knowledge. And from that knowledge, you cannot further learn, you can accumulate, you can translate. It's only a mind that is not acquiring but learning. It is only such a mind that can understand this whole entity that what we call the me, the self. Because I, I have to know myself, the structure, the nature, the significance of the total entity. But if I come to it with my previous knowledge, with my previous experience, pragmatically, 
or with a mind that is already conditioned, then I am not learning, then I am interpreting, translating, looking with an eye that's already, that is already clouded by the past. So there is a vast difference between knowing and learning. One knowledge binds, learning frees the mind. So I have to learn about myself, learn which is I have to be learning about myself all the time. Because the myself is an extraordinarily living thing. Every moment there is a change, there is a mutation, there is a variety of <clears throat> intimations, variety of reactions. And I, I have to learn, the thing I have is I have to know about it, learn about it. But if I come to it with previous information as knowledge, I am not learning. I hope this is somewhat clear. Without Knowing oneself, not only physiological reactions, biological compulsions, demands, but also to know, to learn about one's whole inward movement of thought. is necessary to bring order. Then only you can proceed with meditation. You know, there are so many books and teachers and clever people who have written about this thing, how to meditate what to do. I don't know if you are interested in this. You must be if you are not. Because it's like having only one arm or no arms at all if you do not know the meaning of meditation. Because most of us are seeking the mysterious. <coughs> because we see life has very little meaning, very little significance. The routine of going to the office, the routine of doing something over and over and over again, whether it's pleasurable or not pleasurable the incessant conformity to a pattern. 
we, rather, we get rather tired of all that. And so we seek something mysterious. Something not of this world and otherworldliness. So we think through meditation, which is one of the inventions of, of, the, of Asia, we will think we'll come upon this extraordinary thing, a reality that is not put together by the mind. But to understand that, and it is very important to understand it, because there is great beauty, there is a sense of great intensity, because it's only the meditative mind that knows what love is. The second extract is from the second public discussion in Sarnen, 1973, titled Wisdom and Clarity. This mind sees very clearly there are certain areas that are confused and other areas that are not. And by observing that very closely, without any choice, by observing that very closely, I see what is involved in it, the conflicts, the decisions, the choice, and the action, and more confused, and so on. I see that very, very, very clearly. Therefore, clarity of perception has dissolved that. Clarity of perception, the light of perception has dissolved that. But I am confused, right through. And if I am so confused right through, my mind, the mind is confused right through, then to observe it without any movement of thought, is that possible? Because most of us don't like to be confused, <coughs> or even admit to be, that we are confused. Therefore we fight. We are seeking clarity, which is, out of confusion you are seeking clarity. Therefore that clarity must be confused. I don't know if you see all this. You Therefore I am not, the mind is not seeking clarity at all or wanting to get out of this country. It just observes what is. Now what takes place? It is the movement out of... It is the movement of thought as desire, which says, I must get out of this, that creates more confusion. Obviously. But when there is no movement of thought at all, but only observation, 
is there confusion? Don't accept what I'm saying, please. It's your bread and butter, not mine. So, see what I have found, if you go into it very closely, I see, the mind sees the truth of this, truth of the areas of confusion and areas of not confusion, the whole nature of the structure of the act, the activity involved in it, sees the, sees the whole picture and has an insight into it, therefore sees the truth of it. Seeing the truth of it, out of that comes wisdom, hmm? you understand? And hold is wisdom there. And also it says, I am really confused. And not wanting to escape, not wanting to go overcome it and all the rest of it, it remains completely with the fact, with what is. So it sees that inaction, that is not action, is the state of complete release from confusion. <laughs> I don't know if you see this. Is this Greek? Look, I have never realized I am totally confused. I pretended to myself I am not confused. But when I am forced to the wall by logic, reason, action, I say, yes, I admit honestly I am really deeply, completely confused. And, but I have to live in this world. Therefore, being confused, I do all kinds of things. And this action produces more conflicts, more confusion. That activity is called, is what we call living. That's what we call positive action, born out of confusion. I see that very, the mind sees that very clearly, that's the truth of it, that's the wisdom of it. And thought, moving away from this confusion, is an escape, is an action of positive action, right? So inaction, not action, when there is total confusion, is complete action. I wonder if you get it. You understand? I will not, mind does not act out of confusion. Right? Which means what? As long as there is deep confusion, it will not act. So, I have to live in this world, therefore I have to act. So what is action which is not the outcome of confusion? You are following all this? Therefore, action is a movement 
which is the outcome of the perception of that truth and the action comes when there is intelligence out of that perception. I wonder if you see it. Then it is the this intelligence born out of wisdom that acts, not confusion. So I have to live in one has to live in this world. I have passed through areas of confusion, areas of non-confusion. Mind has realized the full full meaning of all that. And the mind also realizes the state of complete confusion and sees the truth of that. So, perception has revealed the truth and out of that perception wisdom comes. Right now, obviously. And intelligence is the action of that wisdom in daily life. Let's begin, put it differently. The culture in which the mind has grown, cultivated, educated, has accepted confusion as the standard of life. He said, yes, I am confused, and let's get on with it. Don't make a lot of noise about it, (laughs) get on with it. And one one nice day I realized I am really confused, parts of me, parts of me are not, and, I, and so on. The culture has brought me up in this, has educated this mind, educated it to live in confusion and disorder. And it's brought a great deal of sorrow, misery. And mind says, I must get, it must be a way out of all this. And begins to learn to look at itself. It realizes it can only look at itself when there is no movement of thought. Because thought has created this mess, this culture. So it realizes it can only observe clearly when there is no movement of thought. Is that possible? So it it tests it out. Well, it doesn't say accept it. It says I'm going to test it, find out if it is possible. So it looks at things: the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the trees, and the people. It can look outwardly comparatively easily, without the interference of thought. But it becomes much more difficult when it looks inwardly. The inward perception is always with the desire 
to do something about which it perceives. And so I mind, one realizes again the activity of thought. So it regards everything, observes, and realizes as long as there is an observer, this process of choice, conflict, must exist. So is it possible to observe without the observer, which is the past, the experience, and all that? Observe without the observer. That demands great attention. That attention brings its own order, which is discipline. There is no question of imposing an order. That very experiment, that very testing of observation without the observer brings its own order, its own sense of complete attention. And, I, and the mind observes without the observer. And remains totally unmoving, immobile, with regard to what is. Right? Then what takes place? See what mind has done. It has not been able to resolve what is. So it has wasted its energy in trying to escape from it, suppress it, uh, analyze it, explain, and so on. Wasted its energy. When it has not wasted its energy, to remain completely with what is, you t- the mind has all its energy. You understand? Not a spark of energy wasted. There is no escaping, there is no naming, there is no trying to overcome it, suppress it, uh, make it conform to a pattern and so on. All those are a wastage of energy. Now when that energy is not wasted, the mind is full of this energy and is observing actually what is. Then, is there what is? Then is there confusion? And to see all that is not only the truth, but the wisdom of this. And out of that wisdom comes intelligence, which will operate in daily life, which will not create confusion. You understand? I won't. I may do at at moments of negligence. It may do something. It will correct it immediately. You follow? So that the intelligence is all the time in operation. Not which is not my intelligence or your intelligence. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in Sanan, 1972, titled Wisdom and Helping Another. How may one help another in a given crisis 
I object most strenuously to the word help. Who am I to help you? Now do listen to this carefully. You can help me in the kitchen. You can help me in driving a car. The questioner is not asking that. He says, how can I help another in a crisis? Who am I to help? Why do I think I can help? Please, I'm asking this seriously. Don't brush it aside. I say, I can help you. Is it my vanity? Do I know more than you do? And if I do more, if I do know more about, about the crisis than you do, do I? Can I help you to understand that crisis? I can only verbally talk about it. You understand? I can communicate with you about the crisis verbally. Can I help you to go beyond the crisis? Or you have to do it. It sounds cruel. So, what am I to do? When you are suffering, you understand? Crisis is some kind of sorrow, right? Some kind of pain, some kind of fear. What am I to do to help, to help you to understand that crisis? That's the question, isn't it? What am I to do? Come on, sir. I talk to you about it. It matters very much how I talk to, to you about it. Sentimentally, emotionally, uh, uh, trying to comfort you. Does that help? So what shall I do? Give you my sympathy? Hold your hand? Does that help you to face the crisis? Can I give you so-called strength to face the crisis? Cheer you up? What shall I do? Come on, please tell me. I'm in sorrow. My son is dead, gone, or my husband, whatever it is. What will you do with me? I'm in tears, full of self-pity, sense of loneliness. I feel I've lost everything that I have. You can hold my hand. Give me a book to read, that will give me comfort. Hmm? Will that solve any of this problem for me? 
all perhaps you can do is to be quiet and if you love, if you know what that means to love, be in that quiet, affectionate state. You can't do any more, can you? But to love is one of the greatest things in life. And to do that, to have that sense of compassion, passion for everybody, love, you must understand yourself, you must know yourself, yourself who is in sorrow, self-centred activity, lonely, miserable, frightened, you follow? You are all that. If you understand yourself, then you will have wisdom to how to deal with another. But don't, if I may suggest, don't start out wanting to help somebody. The missionaries want to help people, right? You ought to go to the Eastern country and see them. They do help people. Only they bring another burden for, with them to, for the people to bear. They have their own burdens, their own gods, their own beliefs. So they bring another set of beliefs, another gods. And there begins a lot of misery and confusion there. Is it because we have not your insight that we ask you to do something we ourselves cannot do? I have no insight. Who told you I have insight? I really mean it. Who has told you? We are sharing the insight together. It's not mine, nor yours. Do please see this. It is not my insight I am sharing with you. It is insight that for both of us. Then it is not mine nor yours. It is insight. It is intelligence. If, you have, if there is that intelligence between us, then we will do the thing, then we will do the right action. We'll, then we will create a new world, new human beings and so on. The fourth extract is from the fifth talk in Sanan, 1974, titled Wisdom and Sorrow. We are concerned with the whole of existence, not just my existence. You follow? Therefore, I must respond, answer to the whole, and not my particular little desire to be attached to you and I want to get over that little anxiety of pain, jealousy and all the rest of it. 
Because my concern, our concern is to find out this quality of love which can only come into being when I'm concerned, when the mind is concerned with the whole and not with the particular. When it's concerned with the whole, there is love, and then from the whole, the particular has a place. Right? You're following? And there is the suffering of loss, of losing somebody whom you love. Love, you understand, I'm using that word in quotation marks. Why do you suffer? I lose my son, my mother, my wife, or God knows whoever else. I lose somebody. Why do I suffer? Is it that I'm suddenly left hurt very deeply through the death of another? Because through the death of another, I have, through that another, I have identified myself with that person. Right? You are following all this? He's my son. I want him to... I am myself projected in that son, identified myself with that person. And when that person is no longer there, I feel a great, tremendous sense of hurt, because hmm? I have nobody to, to continue me, my, continue me in another, right? So I am deeply hurt. From that hurt arises self-pity, right? Please do examine all this. I'm not so much concerned about the other, I'm really concerned about myself through the other. And therefore I'm hurt when the other is not. And in that hurt, which is very deep, from that hurt arises self-pity, and the desire to find somebody else through whom I can survive. You following all this? So there is that suffering. And there is the suffering of not only personal, but this vast suffering of man. You following? The suffering which wars have brought about to innocent people, to people who have been killed, 
and the killer and the killed. You understand? The mother, the boy, the children, whether they are in the Far East, Middle East, or in the West. This vast human suffering, both physically and psychologically. Unless I my, this mind understands this whole problem. I can play with the word love, I can do social work and talk about the love of God, love of man, love of all this, but in my heart I will no, never know what it is. Right? So is my mind, your mind, your consciousness capable of looking at this fact, looking at it, seeing what extraordinary misery it causes not only to another but to oneself, seeing how you deprive another of his freedom when you are attached. And when you are attached, you are depriving your own freedom. And so the battle begins between you and me. So can the mind observe this? Because it's only with the ending of suffering Wisdom comes into being. You understand? Wisdom is not a thing that you buy in books or you learn from another. Wisdom comes in the understanding of suffering and all the implications of suffering. not only the personal, but also the human suffering which man has created. It's only when you go beyond it that wisdom comes into being. Then to understand or come upon this thing that we call love, we must understand, I think, also, what is beauty. All right, may I go into it? Beauty. You know, it's one of the difficult things to put into words, we'll try. You know what it means to be sensitive? Not sensitive to your desires, to your ambitions, to your hurts and to your failures and your successes. That's fairly easy. Most of us are sensitive to our own little demands, to our own little pursuits of pleasure, fear and anxiety and delight. But we're talking of being sensitive. Not do something, but being sensitive. 
both psychologically and physically. Physically, to be sensitive is to have a very good, subtle body, you understand? Healthy, sane, not overeating, indulging, and all, sensitive body that you can try good diet and all the rest if you are interested. And psychologically to be sensitive. We are not dividing psyche from the body, it's all interrelated. The fifth extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Bombay, 1982, titled Wisdom and Security. Is there security? I may depend for security psychologically on my wife, on my husband. I depend. I'm attached. And in that attachment, in that dependence, there is certain form, subtle form of security. And also, unconsciously, there is the doubt that this security may not be real, because she may go away tomorrow. So there is always doubt, there is always insecurity in the search of security personally, psychologically. Right? So we are asking, please, this is very important to ask and find out if you can live not with security but with intelligence, because that's the ultimate security, a man who is really intelligent. Then in that there is no fear whatsoever. So we have to inquire. Children's hot. We have to inquire into what is intelligence. The word intelligence, from Latin and so on is not only to read between the lines, you understand? Read between the lines. I re- suppose you receive a letter. In that letter everything is not expressed, but you have to have a clear mind to read between the words, get the significance of it. That's part of that intelligence. And also, Intelligence means to gather a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, and act skillfully with that knowledge. That's partly, partly intelligence, right? If I'm an engineer, I gather knowledge all about engineering, the stresses and the strains, the mathematics and so on, so on. And according to that knowledge, I act. 
So that's also part of knowledge. But all that such knowledge is limited because it's based on knowledge. As we pointed out the other day, knowledge is always limited. And if you seek comfort, security in knowledge, you are seeking security in a very limited thing. Therefore, it will always create fear. Or if you have any kind of concept to, to hold, that also will cause fear. But if you see that any dependence, any attachment, any adherence to a belief is not intelligent, then that very intelligence gives you security. Is this clear somewhat? Am I, are we making this clear? No. All right. I hold on to some image I have, image of God, image of some concept and so on. In that I find a great deal of security. I find I'm protected. But the God, the belief, is a projection of my thought. Right? I have projected it as God and in that I seek security. I feel safe. But when I when you tell me to examine this very closely, I begin to discover that I'm doing a very stupid thing and I get frightened and I run away from it. But if I see the truth of what you are saying, which is that thought has projected God and I and that which is thought has projected, thought then worships. Which is totally unintelligent. But if I see the fact that it is unintelligent, there is already intelligence. Therefore, in that intelligence there is security. That intelligence is not yours or mine. It is intelligence. So, like there is no Western thought and Eastern thought. There is only thought. The Western may express it in one way and you might express it in another, but it is still the activity of thought which has come to all mankind. So, security exists only in intelligence, not in cleverness, not in knowledge. Intelligence is about knowledge and the feeling of belonging, holding on to something. Intelligence is wisdom, and wisdom cannot be bought in books. 
Wisdom is not repetition of some, what somebody has said. Intelligence comes when there is intelligence, there is wisdom. And there is only security in this quality of intelligence that's above all thought. The final extract in this episode is from the sixth talk in Ojai, 1976, titled Wisdom and Meditation. Meditation, then, is bringing about order in life and thereby gathering great energy and ending conflict between the observer and the observed, which adds further energy. You understand? When there is a division between the observer and the observed, there must be conflict. Take a very simple example. When you are angry, at the moment of anger, at the second of anger, there is no division, is there? But a second later, a division takes place. I must not be angry, or why shouldn't I be angry? Where there is a division, there must be conflict. And we live in conflict. Therefore, the conflict with all its violence and so on, is a wastage of energy. So, this gathering of energy psychological energy, not only biological, the the gathering of this total energy is the beginning of is the beginning of asylums. Hmm? Not quite. As we said, we live a confused life, which is our consciousness is in turmoil. I don't know if you have noticed your own consciousness. Constantly in battle, constantly choosing, denying, asserting, dominating, attached, not at, it's in constant struggle, boiling its all the time. And therefore, in that boiling, there's a wastage of energy. To bring to that, to, for that turmoil to come to an end, is part of meditation. Not by control. The moment you control, then who is the controller? 
Please go into this yourself. You understand? Who is the controller? Controller is part of thought. So the controller then tries to control thought, which is a wastage of energy. But if you see the truth that the controller is the control, the truth of it, then the conflict comes to an end. That means that you have further energy. Right? There is further energy. And this energy is necessary, this complete energy, which is not put together by friction. Yes? Friction has its own energy. And this energy which we are talking about is not put together by thought and therefore it's not the result of friction. This energy is necessary to to come upon that which is sacred, which is the religious mind. Got it, some of you? So meditation is... I'll go on, whether you understand or not after this, it's up to you. Meditation then is the emptying of the content of consciousness, its content, which means the fears, the anxieties, the conflict in relationship, the ending of sorrow, and therefore Compassion, the ending of the content of consciousness, is complete silence, because then that silence is full of energy, you understand? It is not vacant silence. It is not a silence that is want something more. I wonder if you understand all this. You've never done all this, that's why it's also become so difficult. I hope it isn't difficult. So meditation is not the repetition of mantras. Not merely sitting down, breathing carefully. Meditation is, it must be totally uninvited. You understand? Not contrived, not put together. Which means there is no measurement. If one has gone that far, or no, it's not far or near, if one has done this, then 
there is that emptiness. Do you understand? Now it won't. Scientists say in this emptiness there is energy. You understand? We are saying when there, when there is this meditative process, movement, there is, there is a totally different kind of consciousness of a dimension in which there is all this energy, which has been gathered through meditation, order in life, and so on, so on, so that you have total energy. There is total energy. And in that emptiness there is not a thing, there is nothing. (laughs) Nothing means not a thing. Thing means thought. We said thought is a material process. So, thought in that emptiness doesn't exist at all. Therefore, there is no experiencer who is experiencing this total nothingness. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, gosh, you people don't. So we also have to inquire what is beauty. What is beauty? Because that's also part of our life. What is beauty? Is it the line? Is it the shadow, the line of an architectural building, the painting, the marvellous sculptures that exist in the world, the mountains, the running waters, the beautiful face, What is beauty? Is not beauty. Doesn't beauty exist when there is not a centre of conflict? Wonder if you understand this. When you say how beautiful it is. What is the feeling behind that? What is the nature, the quality of emotion, the feeling, the, the, the surging of something? Is that beauty? Or is beauty the total absence 
of the observer. There is only complete observation. in which there is no choice, no division. So, there must be this sense of beauty, because <coughs> that may be that which is sacred. Not the beauty of a form of a woman or a man. There is the beauty of woman and a man. The beauty of a tree, the beauty of a line, the sheet of water, the running sea. <coughs> but to find out or come upon that sense of total absence. of anything that is contradictory, that is anything that is whole, complete, sane, rational. Such a mind is a beautiful mind, you understand, which is the religious mind, because there you have got the total energy embodied there. So there is such a thing as something sacred, which is not touched by thought, which is not touched or made corrupt by human beings with their desires and frights and quarrels and mischief. And to come upon that is the be- is not only part of meditation and the ending of sorrow is the beginning of wisdom. You understand? So wisdom, which is not learning from books or going to a school to learn wisdom. But when there is an ending of sorrow in yourself as a human being, then out of that comes wisdom. And when a human being transforms himself, you, transform yourself radically, you are affecting the whole consciousness of mankind. You understand, sir? Because you are the mankind. You are the movement of mankind, which is a fact, which is actual. If you change, you affect the world. So it is your tremendous responsibility. Not to run off into some fanciful, meditative, experience which is no which is illusion so we must be 
very skeptical of all psychological experiences, subjective experiences, because they are the most destructive. So, meditation implies a life of great order. Therefore, great virtue, moral, and it implies the understanding and the depth of beauty, and it implies the emptying of that consciousness which is made up of, which is you. With all your attachments, fears, hopes, despair, emptying all that by observing, and you have that energy which alone can discover that which is eternal, which has no beginning and no ending. 